You are listening to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Wine-Banks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations with experts on various issues facing our country today. This is Victor Shi. I'll be an incoming freshman at UCLA next year. I'm also the proud co-host of this podcast with Jill Wine-Banks. Um, Jill, can you give us a brief introduction about who you are before we, get, before we begin our special convention coverage of day two of the DNC convention? I can. It requires taking off my new mask, though, which everyone should own, yes. saying vote. Um, while my new mask saying Biden, Harris, is on its way. Um, I'm Jill Wine Banks. I was a Watergate prosecutor, general counsel of the Army under Carter, and uh, deputy attorney general of Illinois under attorney general Neil Hartigan. Um, I am the proud co-host with Victor of this podcast, and we normally do once a week. This week we're doing every single day, at least once a day, because this week is so important, and we're hoping that all of you are watching live the Democratic Convention, which we already did commentary on night one, which we found very moving, very perfect, uh, very wonderful. And now we're going to talk about how it went tonight. And I'd like to start by asking Victor, because this is his uh, first time as a delegate. It's my first time as a delegate, too, although I did attend um, a convention as early as 1976, many years before Victor was even born. Uh, So... Sometimes he and I talk from different perspectives where um, I want to ask him, does he have any questions about how the roll call went, how the convention tonight went? Are there any things that you loved or that you were troubled by that you'd like to ask about? Yeah, well, before I begin that, let's actually explain our pins because Jill is um, known for her Jill's pins. I don't have a hashtag. She has a hashtag. But Jill, why don't you explain your pins and then I can explain my pins and then uh, I'll share my thoughts after that. Okay, so my pins today um, are partly in honor of the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage. It was the date of the passage of the 19th Amendment. Um, And behind me, I've decorated my house. Um, This one says, we march on. And it's because women didn't get given the vote. They fought for it. And they earned it. Um, And they are still marching on. We need the Equal Rights Amendment now to make things really fair. Mm -hmm. But I am wearing, and maybe I'll post online because I don't know if you can see them, but I have one pin here, Mm -hmm. which is the woman holding her arm up voting. This is, of course, a Joe Biden pin. This one says, count every vote. And that's because Mm -hmm. of the disaster that Donald Trump has created with the post office and with basically uh, attacking male voting, Mm mail-in voting, which has been a long time practice in yeah. America. And some states have exclusively mail-in voting, mm-hmm. uh, Washington, mm-hmm. Utah, Oregon. And there's never been a problem with fraud. There's never been a problem with mail delivery. The post office, I just wanna reassure all of our listeners, says that they deliver yeah. more mail between Thanksgiving and January 1st then they would have to deliver if 100% of Americans voted by mail. Mm -hmm. So you have nothing to fear getting an absentee ballot. You don't have to risk your life. There are other ways to vote safely. You can go to the polls. 
Um, particularly if you vote early, there won't be long lines. You can avoid that. And so take into account all of the options you have, but consider mail-in ballots as a very viable solution. Mm -hmm. But For if you sure. do that, vote early. Don't take a chance. Don't wait and mail your ballot on November 3rd. In most states, if it's postmarked on November 3rd, it will be counted. But there are some states that say it has to be received within three days of November 3rd. And I wouldn't want to take that chance. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I got something mailed to me yesterday. In fact, this mask was mailed oh. by a friend to me yesterday, and it arrived today. So oh. mail is working. Yeah. But don't take that chance, please. Everybody mm -hmm. vote early. So, yeah. Victor, tell me what your pins are. <laughs> yeah, so um, all the delegates got swag bags. We got one swag bag from the DNC. We got one swag bag from the Illinois delegation. So the first one is from uh, the DNC, and it's just like the Democratic uh, Convention across America. This one is an Illinois for Joe Biden pin because Jill and I both are delegates for Joe Biden. This one is a campaign pin that says no malarkey, which is something that Joe Biden is for. Just telling it like it is. Um, but okay, so in terms of the convention, um, I thought tonight was definitely different than last night. Last night we really saw um, a really fast moving, it, the pace was faster. Um, yes. I thought it, it, yesterday it really highlighted just the stakes that are at risk. And same thing with tonight, but I thought tonight what was interesting was um, the first half of the show felt kind of um, more slow to me. Um, we saw the, out from the outset, we saw uh, the references back to kind of the sense of normalcy. We saw uh, Jimmy Carter, we saw Pastor Jimmy Carter, we saw Pastor uh, John F. Kennedy, we saw Bill Clinton speak. And I think that was just really to channel um, what a lot of um, older Americans and adults are longing for right now. And that's just real leadership, leadership that they saw back when they were growing up and a leadership that they know Joe Biden can restore once he gets elected. But in terms of the roll call, I really liked the format of the roll call, just kind of highlighting the diversity across America. You know, you saw these backdrops, these really unique backdrops kind of symbolize um, what America is all about. And we saw um, people from all walks of life, life Asian Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans, um, kind of just, you know, make their voice heard and cast their vote for um, their own candidate, whether it be Bernie Sanders or um, Joe Biden. Now, I do have to say, um, at the beginning, I was a little worried that there might be some conflict with the two parties. We saw kind of AOC, the AOC wing of the party, as well as the Joe Biden wing of the party kind of um, kind of like go at it, like in a way that I don't know, like at first I was like, I don't know if this will cause conflict. But then after the roll call, I felt confident that this moment was one that is uniting um, our party for the better. Um, how about you, Joel? What did you think? Well, first of all, I thought the roll call was better than I've ever seen the roll call. In all other conventions, you have noise and people aren't really paying attention yeah. and you have someone screaming out the great state of whatever mm -hmm. casts its votes for and you know, it, that's all it is and nobody's paying attention. This time I really focused on the message that was delivered about what was important in that state and mm -hmm. the fact, I mean, as you watch the votes mount up and yeah. Biden had an overwhelming uh, support, yeah. it, it became obvious. It was a little strange when they said Delaware passes. They didn't explain. And of course, yeah. normally the state that is the home of the presidential candidate is the state that is selected to put that candidate over the limit that's required. Mm -hmm. So normally when it got into the 20 hundreds, you'd be thinking Delaware would be it, but they yeah. chose to let Delaware be the last 
uh, state to cast its ballots. So in a way that also put him over. There is also um, very often there is a uh, motion to make it by acclamation so that any other candidate who gathered delegates, as happened here, there were only two, but sometimes there's even more, yeah. um, that someone from the Biden uh, campaign, I'm sorry, from the Sanders campaign would move to make it by acclamation and all the votes would be channeled to uh, the presidential nominee. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. So I was a little disappointed that that didn't happen, but it's understandable. And I didn't see any conflict. You heard Sanders last night. Senator Sanders could not have been clearer in saying to his supporters, you must vote for Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they will be listening to him because otherwise they are responsible if Joe Biden yeah. doesn't win. And you may not love Joe Biden, all you Sanders people, and I get that. But you have to say he is a lot better than Donald Trump, yeah. and you certainly don't want him. This is the most liberal platform that any candidate has ever had, and we need Joe Biden to be elected. Um, I found tonight, you're right, the pacing was completely different. Last night was, was wonderful and invigorating, and I, it created a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. And tonight was much more serious. Uh, yeah, last night yes. was really sort of anti-Trump. Tonight was, here's Joe Biden and why we yeah. love Joe Biden. But it, it really, um, I, I felt it was very successful. I was tearing up so often. I cannot even tell you. I teared up yeah. last night during uh, the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem and a couple mm -hmm. of other times. But for me, JFK, whose daughter Carolyn and his grandson, uh, who of course he never met because Carolyn was, oh, in single digits. I don't remember her exact mm -hmm. age, but mm -hmm. she was a little girl when he died. Yeah. Um, and her son, who spoke beautifully about, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do right. for your country. Right. And that was a famous uh, line from the first inauguration, from the only inauguration of mm -hmm. John Kennedy. Mm -hmm. He was my first presidential candidate that I campaigned oh for. God. I was too young to vote, but I was in, I had just started college and I was still 17. And uh, I was part of the Young Democrats and actually got to meet him when he came to visit the University of Illinois downstate. Wow. Um, and he, he was a very charismatic character. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. for all of you people who are my age and who remember the era of Camelot, you will love the new Randy Rainbow song, which I have tweeted, but I think Victor and I will post again, yeah. Yeah. Um, to the tune of Camelot. And also Lauren Mayer, who does uh, similar songs, did one called Kamala to the tune of Camelot. Mm -hmm. And both are wonderful, but there's a third one, which is Maya Angelou reading one of her poems with Kamala Harris dancing and uh -huh. smiling. And it is, it's a really moving thing. But anyway, I was moved tonight as well. I cried a mm -hmm. lot. I mean, mm -hmm. I really felt like, wow, there were yeah, so many yeah. people who spoke who moved me. And they were ordinary citizens, ordinary voters who were yeah. just fantastic well let's let's get into some of the speakers that we thought um really captured the moment of the democratic party convention um i know for you um i thought of you when sally yates spoke um we've had plenty of conversations on this podcast just about 
the salt of the rule of law by Donald Trump, mm -hmm. um, just these constant with AG Barr, with Donald Trump, just working together to slowly tear away from the fabric. It's frightening. And we've had, we've had these conversations with people like Ashwangapa, Ali Honig, both from CNN. And, you know, Sally Yates, she was the former deputy AG and, you know, you've had experience in the DOJ. Um, what do, you, uh, what do you make of her speech? Did you think she presented a clear case for how we could restore the rule of law and uh, accountability in this country? I think Sally Yates is a wonderful person and she made a wonderful presentation. Yeah. I want to point out that she was a woman who mm -hmm. was, she is a woman and she was the first to stand up to Donald Trump. She yeah. said, I will not carry out this order because it's wrong. That's what it takes in America to defend democracy. Yeah. Um, there was conversation that I had today with some of my sisters-in-law, Joyce Vance and Barbara McQuaid, who are you know, also MSNBC contributors with me. And we were talking about how it takes one little step at a time. And that is something that we need to keep in mind, that the rule of law isn't abolished in one fell swoop. It mm -hmm. is eroded one thing at a time. Yeah. And it started under Sessions, and it has skyrocketed under Barr. Oh, yeah. And there was Matt Whitaker in between, who was an embarrassment that he ever headed the Department of Justice, even mm -hmm. as a temporary acting person. Um, and what the legal profession needs to do to redeem itself from those three people. Um, I think she did a very, very fine job of saying what is wrong with this administration and why we need to move on. Mm -hmm. um, she was very, very good. I was very I mean, proud of her and proud of all the other women who have stood yeah. up um, in, in the impeachment hearing. You can think of a number of people who've lost their jobs, mm -hmm. men and women, but definitely including women. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll see Sally Yates as Joe Biden's Attorney General. I mean, I, she, she would, I think she would make a perfect Attorney General. Um, she's a qualified woman. She respects the rule of law, unlike Bill Barr. <laughs> but yes. I mean, who she'd knows? Be a great, she'd be yeah. a great Attorney General. So would Amy Klobuchar. So would Amy um, Klobuchar, yeah. yeah. So there's, and, and so would have the new vice presidential nominee. Yeah. yeah. Um, who became the nominee. I guess she's officially accepting tomorrow, but we know mm -hmm. she'll be it. Yeah. Um, so I think that all of the primary opponents of Joe Biden, with maybe one or two exceptions, would make a fabulous cabinet. Mm -hmm. Every single mm -hmm. one of them could serve in this government. And yeah. we'd, be, yeah. be, we'd, well, we would drain the swamp that Donald Trump has created. Though <laughs> yeah, he literally. said he was going to, he said he was going to drain it. But I mean, I, of course, was moved by uh, Carolyn and her son, Kennedy, yeah, yeah. Uh, Schlossberg. And I was thrilled to see Jimmy Carter, who's the president that I served as general counsel of the army under, and who is a man of such integrity and grace, um, who is a powerful person and his wife, yeah. Rosalind, equally powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, seeing Bill Clinton uh, mm -hmm. is always mm -hmm. a good thing because he is one of the most engaging politicians in our history. Yeah. And so those were, I think you're right, that was appealing to my generation. Um, AOC, unfortunately, was appealing to yours, but even as she nominated Sanders, if you listen to what she said, it's clear that she is supporting Biden. Mm. 
and his, you know, I mean, his policies are so close to what Sanders was pushing. Right, right. They aren't the same. I'm not saying they are, but we have to respect him and respect how far he has accomplished in what the platform reflects. And that's why his supporters should become Biden supporters and hopefully appeal to your generation. Um, what, what else could be done to uh, either during the convention or more importantly, during the months ahead of us, it's not that many months, guys, it's close, yeah, it's, but yeah. in the months ahead, and, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Victor has taken a job in the Biden campaign, so he's going to be working to make this happen um, as a ground organizer. So he may be calling you and <laughs> you'd be lucky if Victor calls you. So what else could we do? You know, what who would you like to see speak at the convention or as a surrogate yeah. on the campaign trail who would make you go, yeah, I'm, I'm for that person. Yeah, well, I mean, so Liz Smith, who chaired um, Pete Buttigieg's campaign as the communications director, she penned this wonderful New York Times or uh, really famous op-ed um, right after the convention, uh, right after um, Bernie Sanders dropped out. And it was basically her saying that in order for Biden to win back some of these young supporters, or at least win these young supporters, they have to meet these young people where they are. So really using the likes of um, like Instagram Live and doing things with famous young singers like um, uh, like Khalid or some of these rappers and kind of doing these collabs, which you know you wouldn't think a politician would do, but it really gets to young people and tells them that, you know, we value your generation. You know, we see that your generation is something unique and we're going to be doing these events to really motivate the young younger people. But in terms of what happened today with this convention, I'm kind of just scrolling through my live tweets because I was just tweeting it, uh, tweeting during the convention. And um, what I thought was interesting was, so I thought one big theme for today was just leadership. Um, at so the first half was at home. We saw that with um, just the ordinary uh, leaders uh, in each state, as well as um, uh, locally uh, with Stacey Abrams and some of the state representatives. And then we saw that with um, our nation's past leaders with Jimmy Carter, John F. Kennedy and uh, Bill Clinton. And then during the second half of the convention after the roll call, we saw um, the international scene and how Joe Biden could restore America's presence internationally. And I thought that was really striking. We saw John Kerry, who I just thought, who I just think is always such an engaging and compelling speaker. We saw a surprise visit by um, former Secretary of State Colin Powell, who is of course, who served of course under the Bush administration, but just all of these international leaders coming out and saying, look, what Donald Trump has done hasn't just affected us, us at home, it's affected us internationally. I thought that was a striking moment. And I think that that is a really powerful moment. And plus we saw um, this video, this montage of uh, Joe Biden and John McCain's relationship. That relationship yes. was one that was forged, not so much because of they agreed on policy, but just because their values were the same. And those are the things that we missed so much um, just with Donald Trump in office. So let me ask you a question, but first let me say, uh, Colin Powell was a young Lieutenant Colonel mm -hmm. when I was General Counsel mm -hmm. of the Army, and he was an aide to the Secretary of the Army. So I got to see him and know him every day because he was in the secretary's office um, and traveled with the secretary. So I, 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 and I have great respect for him mm -hmm. and for what, what he was saying, which is I'm a Republican, but we can't elect we Donald can Trump anymore, right. which is what many Republicans have come out and said, and mm -hmm. basically given permission to Republicans to say, yeah. I can be a Republican and say that this president is not representing my values. And I think mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, but you haven't really told me what, you know, you, you think it's just getting in some 
entertainment people to talk that will convince your generation? Yeah, I, I, think, I think for the, just the younger generation, I think just one big motivating factor for getting out to vote and supporting a candidate is just feel like they're seen and feel like they're heard. So, um, you know, they could include young voices in the campaign, bring some, you know, they do like Instagram live stories where they um, have conversations one-on-one -on -one with um, professional leaders, but maybe some bringing some younger people into the fold yeah. and including their voices. Cause I think that's the main thing with this campaign. It's just that, you know, for way too long, we've seen kind of elected officials and presidential candidates just represent the main cohort, which is the adult and the older voting population right. kind of ignore some of the, high school, college, recent college graduates, students who, you know, are just craving for this representation in politics. Um, I think that's probably the best way for the campaign to kind of bring young voters into the fold. Voting has always fallen really to, I don't know, over 40s. Mm -hmm. And I think this election and this time of the Black Lives Matter and the protests yeah. is really an important time for young people to say, I have to be part of the process and I have to vote. So yeah. I'm hoping that people will be motivated to get out and vote. I thought AOC was phenomenal tonight. Mm -hmm. She is, mm -hmm. she is a great yeah, speaker. She's always on fire. Like, she really, amazing. she really was. And I hope she will become a surrogate for Joe yeah. Biden. Oh yeah, for That sure. she won't stop with her nomination of Sanders. Mm -hmm. He didn't get it. So she has to recognize that if she wants her policies implemented, she has to do it through influence in the Biden administration. Yeah, yeah. And I hope that she will take that seriously and get involved in that. Because mm -hmm. um, she really, she's quite, I mean, of, mm -hmm. of all the speakers, except for, okay, so let's hope there's not a generational difference on this. Did you love Jill Biden? Oh my, okay, so before we get into Jill Biden, my, one of my favorite parts of this convention so far, we saw this yesterday, um, just Joe Biden leading these discussions with ordinary yes. people. You know, he, he's in this, he's sitting in his chair and he has like four screens in front of him and he's just looking at each one of them. Today was about healthcare. We saw um, AD, Bar, uh, uh, AD Barkin kind of speak about his struggles and that was one of the moments where I cried. Um, yes. It was so moving. Um, but just the, how, how he had these conversations on healthcare, it was, so, it was a, an issue that was so deep and personal to him. And you could just feel the empathy that was um, yes. channeled throughout those conversations. I think that's exactly what, um, why we all love Joe Biden. It's because he is this authentic, empathetic person who can just have ordinary conversations and connect with ordinary voters. And I, I thought that was um, appealing. But getting to Dr. Joe Biden, what do you think? Oh my God, she's phenomenal. What, what a person, what an intellect. What yeah. a great first lady we would have. I, can you imagine how much she will accomplish? Oh, yeah. Um, she, she will be the equivalent of Michelle Obama in being a beloved figure. In the same way she united and saved the Biden family, she will save America. She yeah. is wonderful. I had the privilege of hearing her as the keynote speaker for Jan Schakowsky, who we had on the show mm -hmm. um, Today, we had, yeah, yeah. right? That was released today. Um, Jan Joukowsky has an annual women's Thanks. power lunch. And the keynote speaker this year was Jill Biden. <sighs> she just blew away the audience. And I, my husband said, now I'm crying, she, listening mm -hmm. to that. He was very moved. I think it, it was everybody felt 
the power of Jill Biden. Yeah. And she will be a great first lady. Um, yeah. Love her. Loved, and, loved her speech. Thought yeah. everything about it was perfect. It was, and the introduction to her, oh. um, the oh little video about her life, uh, was quite remarkable and wonderful. So oh, she, we're, we're very lucky to have that couple. They are oh, terrific. Yeah. And tomorrow I'm looking forward to the introduction to Kamala and her husband. And yeah. I, I really, I mean, I, of course, I've gone online and I've looked up who he is, mm -hmm. um, but I don't really know him. I've not seen him speak. I hope that we'll get introduced to him tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. But I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Hopefully it will. Yeah. I mean, for, for Dr. Jill Biden, you know, I agree with everything you said, just the intro to her, you know, she's just this likable person. But what I thought was extremely, extremely effective was filming it in the classroom. Um, yeah. You know, she's this teacher and we all know how, you know, we've all had that one teacher who has affected our lives in tremendous ways. And um, for her as a teacher to be in this empty classroom uh, is so wrenching for so many parents, teachers and students just wanting to go back there. And um, I, but, but then again, I think that just reflects Donald Trump's mishandling of this coronavirus pandemic. And that's why she has yeah. to be in that empty classroom. But it was yeah. such a powerful moment to see her and just alone in this empty classroom when she could be with kids and be enjoying, you know, teaching young children in um, English. Right. But well, she now teaches college. Now so, she teaches college. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, what was interesting to me is especially because today, University of South Carolina, which was one of the first to open, had to close, what, yeah. two days, two weeks? How long have they been oh, opened? Oh, I think Notre Dame also did oh, that. Yeah. Oh, Notre Dame also? Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame and South Carolina, I think. And South both. Carolina are, yeah. like, because they've come down with so many COVID cases. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping you're going to rethink about going off to UCLA. Mm -hmm. I, I know you weren't going to live on campus and only 8% of your classes are supposed to be um, in person. They're all going to be online anyway, so there's no point in being on campus. Yeah. But it does make anyone think about how much they're paying for college, even though the colleges need the money because their costs aren't going down. They still have to pay faculty. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's, they should not open. I mean, yeah, I until agree. we get control of the coronavirus, which we haven't, and won't until there is an administration led by President uh, Biden. That mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So I thought it was very moving to see it, particularly on today, when there was another announcement of a closing because of COVID cases yeah. spiking on campus. Yeah, for sure. But Jill, um, before we end this conversation, why don't you tell me, um, what are you looking forward to tomorrow and for the rest of the convention? Um, give us your thoughts and then we can well, the, the two big things, of course, are the speech by Kamala tomorrow and the speech by Joe on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And those are important, important things. Um, I still, in terms of what I'm looking forward to, uh, it's not that I'm looking forward. It's things that I am anticipating is mm -hmm. that Donald Trump will continue to be a misogynist, racist person who will continue to attack and I already pointed to the We March yeah, symbol, yeah. Um, but we still need the ERA, and I'm looking forward to some efforts that might be made in a, a new administration to bring about the protections that women need, need uh, because we still aren't being treated equally. 
and the fact of the attacks on Kamala certainly show how much sexism is alive and mm -hmm. I don't want to use the word well, is, is alive in America. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that when I first graduated from law school and only 4% of lawyers were women, you could expect certain things, but we've moved on from that, but we aren't at parity. We mm -hmm. just simply mm -hmm. aren't. Look at how many representatives are female in Congress. Look at how many yeah. are in the Senate. Look how many are in the governor's houses. Um, Supreme I think Court. Supreme, well, yeah. the Supreme Court, we're getting pretty good at. We really are. Um, just like well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, she said, you know, um, something, I don't know, I don't remember the quote, but it was like, I will not settle until there are like nine women on the bench because. <laughs> well, so I want, actually, you, you asked a question, which I, I'm sorry, I'm going to open up my, yeah, for sure. my, my phone because a friend sent me the most wonderful article. Uh, I, no, sorry. It's a tweet, which I have retweeted. So if you oh. follow me, you can find it, but it's from Lynn Shear and it says, hashtag Susan B. Anthony speaks letter obtained exclusively by Ellen Goodman at Ellen Goodman and myself reveals a reaction to Susan B. Anthony pardon. This is the ridiculous, ridiculous statement that Donald Trump has released that he will pardon her for her crime. Um, and if you read the letter, let me see yeah. if I can get the letter. Um, how do I get the letter? I had it. I, I, I mean, I've read the letter. Um, oh, maybe it's here. I can't my, oh, here it is. It is so, first of all, let me just tell everybody that something I know from Watergate President Ford pardoned Richard Nixon prospectively for any crimes that he might be indicted for, any that he had committed up to that point. And it pretty much cost him the election when he ran for his own election mm -hmm. uh, because people were very angry about him doing that. But the very touching part was I was on a panel with the young lawyer who had to deliver the pardon offer to San Clemente where uh, Richard Nixon was. And what he had to tell him was, if you accept this pardon, you will be admitting your guilt. It is an mm. acceptance of guilt. So, of course, the minute I saw his pardon, I went, well, she will never accept it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, she's been dead for, what, 100 years, but uh, she would never accept it. No. Not only because he's a misogynistic um, word I can't say, grabbing <laughs> man uh, who has attacked many women, um, but because she did nothing but vote while being female. Mm -hmm. So this letter, which is uh, from the co-hosts of She Votes, which is a, another oh, podcast, yeah, yeah. and it's from Mount Hope Cemetery in Rochester, New York, where she is buried, and it says, Dear Mr. Tom, Trump, I was tickled to hear through my sources in the modern world that you have issued a pardon for my conviction in 1873 for the crime of voting while female. The only thing that saves this pathetic stunt from being totally laughable is the sweet irony that you, a singularly scandalous Republican president, seek to excuse the outrage of an earlier scandal-ridden Republican administration with the stroke of a Sharpie it goes on and gets better no, and yeah. better. So I suggest that everyone, I, I'll, I'll retweet it again as soon as we um, finish this show mm -hmm. and we'll try mm -hmm. to put it on our website. Yeah. It, yeah. it gets totally funny. Honestly, Mr. Trump, can't you get anything right? I do not want and do not accept a pardon from the hand of the man who grabbed my spiritual offspring by the word I can't say, 
whatever that is, <laughs> of course, 100 years ago, no one knew that word. Yeah. When I voted in 1872 for Ulysses S. Grant for president, I did nothing unlawful. I was simply exercising my citizens' right to vote. Hence all these vote things, because mm -hmm. all of you must exercise not only your right, but your responsibility to democracy to vote. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's, it's a very long letter, but it's wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. I am certainly now following Lynn um, and Ellen. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of you should too. Um, and For follow sure. Victor and follow me. <laughs> For sure. Yes, all of us. Um, well, we want to thank you for listening to our recap of day two of the DNC convention. Um, tomorrow we have Congressman Brad Schneider, who represents my home district um, in the 10th congressional district in Illinois. Um, and then we'll still, still be having these nightly um, recaps to dive into um, what happened each night during the DNC convention. But in the meantime, thank you so much. Good night. Good night. All right. Perfect.